All right, we're going to turn our attention to Romans 16, and, and I encourage you today to turn there in the Bible in your pew, if you have your Bible on your phone, if you brought your Bible with you, um, so that I can get your sympathy. Um, because um, I, I, don't, I, I don't come up here to practice my sermons anymore. You know, I normally just kind of go over at home or throughout the week. Um, and I didn't come up here for this, but I did practice reading this text a lot uh, because it's some of the hardest names in the Bible. And one of the things I love about Dauphin Way, if you're new here, let, let me tell you, this is a large campus, but, but kind of a small church. Now, we all love each other, and I'm grateful for that. So when I mess up, I already know I've got your grace. And I know that you're going you're gonna to stumble, you might stumble over them with me, all right? So let, let's go through these, these names and celebrate what Paul is saying together. Romans 16, beginning of verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church, in Centra, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinigus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, who is our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, and greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persisus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Usuncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Pertobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nernus, and his sister Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say... Thanks be to God. When I teach my Bible studies, I always say, if you just read it really fast, nobody will know whether you say it right or not. But when there's 26 of them, it's hard to do it fast. People tell me all the time, you know, they're naming their children. They want biblical names. I'm like, I've got one for you. How about Philologus? You name your child after somebody in the Bible? Uh, What about Andronicus? There's a good one. We are in the second week of our new series uh, about finding your tribes, about your places in the church to find belonging. Last week, we talked about how the worship is the body. It's the place where all of us have the opportunity to be surprised by Jesus, where all, all, all of us get to experience being part of the body of Christ. This week, I would like to talk about the team and the teams that you might find yourself on within the church. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. 
We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I have no basis for making this claim other than my own personal opinion. I have not yet had to experience the practical implication of my belief. And when I have to shuttle my children from one place to the other as frequently as some of our parents do, I might feel differently. But I tell you, as of now, I love the fact that most of our students have to get service hours. It was not mandated when I was a kid, but it was encouraged. Encouraged, but not required. But now, many of our schools and extracurricular organizations, uh, they require students to get a certain number of service hours to matriculate or to be a part of the group. No longer is it just for someone who's trying to pad their resume, but it's a mandate for almost everyone under the age of 18. And I think it's great. And just as a shameless plug, the pumpkin patch is right around the corner. (laughs) And it is a great way to get some service hours. My fandom of this requirement is not because I'm a tyrant looking to exploit free labor from kids, um, nor because I think the youngest generation lacks any work ethic like we had back in my day, but rather because we and those that have gone before us have employed and adopted a system of economics that devalues the role of service and altruism. We're a country that operates as a capitalist economy like most of the world, and for the most part, it's really good. And when I mentioned to Brianna that I was going to begin my sermon with a brief excursus on capitalism, she said, yay, (laughs) with all the excitement of a uh, freshman beginning macroeconomics. I said, what, you don't like it whenever we discuss economic theories? And she said, I like it when we talk about Jesus and our children and cheesecake. And and I said, well, I, I think this has a lot to do with Jesus and our children, maybe not so much cheesecake. But, you know, two out of three isn't bad, so please give me a chance. I think this has uh, something for each of us. There is a lot to be said for capitalism. Because of our young nation's early embrace of this economic model, we have seen some of the fastest growth and some of the greatest technological innovations in human history. But from a Christian perspective, the key feature that enables it to thrive can also be its fatal flaw. Capitalism depends on each individual's self-interest to be our chief motivation. In this way of society's operating, there's no incentive for altruism in its pure form other than what it can provide back. In theory, capitalism only rewards the selfless acts if it generates progress elsewhere that comes back to benefit the person, which in turn negates the selflessness of the act. Theoretically, this is not a bad thing, It's supposed to be kind of a rising tide lifts all boats kind of experience. Adam Smith, the father of capitalism, calls this the invisible hand, and it works very well. My daughter began her kindergarten this week, and if I were to explain it to her, I'd explain it like this. Imagine having a big box of colored pencils, and everyone in your class wants to borrow them, and in return, they offer you cool things like stickers and candies. Now, you're not giving them the pencils because you want to be the nicest person in the room. You're doing it because you want these cool stickers and candies. In other words, you're looking out for your own self-interest, which is fine. However, while you're trying to get some stickers, you're also helping your classmates finish their art projects. They, in turn, get to use the best colors, and the whole class gets to see great artwork. You never really meant to help everybody else, but it happened anyway. In capitalism, when people or businesses work hard and make smart choices, they usually do it to make more money or to be successful, 
for themselves, not necessarily to help everyone else. But while they're focused on their own success, they often end up creating products and services that benefit a lot of people. So capitalism can unintentionally help others, but there's no real incentive for true altruism other than the hope that doing so will provide something back to you. Now, I want to say this is not some political statement. I'm not against our financial policies or our forms of governance. I love being an American, and I'm not an anti-capitalist. In fact, as we just pointed out in a recent sermon, it was only relatively recently that the church stopped seeing usury as unsavory, and I'm really glad bankers are allowed in church. We don't frown on people that loan money at reasonable rates. I like the fact that a bank gave me a loan that I couldn't have otherwise gotten so that I could get a family for my house. A house for my family. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever done that from a pulpit. If not for capitalism, me and most Americans would not be able to afford a home. So this is not some PSA to tear down all the modern economies of the world. But I do see that there is some disconnect between a system that says you should be most concerned with your own self-interest and a savior who tells us to pick up a cross, which is literally the opposite of self-interest, which is why I like the check and balance for our children of service hours. We don't have to tear down the, the world's economy to say that there is still room for you to do something for somebody else. Service hours teach our kids something fundamental to the human experience and something essential to Christianity that our economic system fails to prioritize on its own merits. And that belief is that service and selflessness matter. Not for what they provide you, but what you are able to do for someone else, even if there is no reward. And often, there is no reward. We encounter this form of selfless behavior in all sorts of ways in the New Testament primarily through the, the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, but also through the work of the early church and its leaders. Stephen, the first Christian martyr's selfless actions led to his stoning. It was followed by many other disciples that experienced the same. In Acts, we're told that the people gave everything they had and sold all their possessions in order to provide for one another. Paul finds himself in prison because he's trying to act selflessly on behalf of the gospel. And perhaps that's why our modern economy doesn't prioritize service and selflessness, because doing these things may not compute with the rest of the world, and it might cause personal backlash, or at least a limit on our earning potential. As we return to the passage this morning, I admit, this might seem like a strange selection for a sermon. It's hard to read, particularly a sermon about service, but it reveals to us an often overlooked reality about Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament. When we think of Paul, we often celebrate him for his hard work, for his suffering, for the letters he wrote, but we often forget that there are other people on the opposite side of those letters. The truth is, Paul never worked alone. During all of his years spent serving Jesus, he did so with a team. And chapter 16 of his letter to the Romans is kind of like a shout out of appreciation to the members of that team. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, receive her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of his people. She's been the benefactor for me and many people. So Phoebe, she's paying all the bills. 
Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for him, not only for him, but all the other churches of the Gentiles should be grateful for them. He says, shout out to my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert of Christ in Asia. Don't forget about Mary. She worked so hard. Be sure to remember Andrew and Icus and Junia. My fellow Jews have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. What about Ampliatus and my dear friend in the Lord, Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Don't forget about Stachys. Give it up for Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test of time. He goes on and on like this for 15 more people. All in all, Paul has 26 teammates that he is acknowledging. I mean, the man could field a soccer match and still have leftovers, substitutes to go in when others are in need. So as great as Paul was, he was only able to do the work he did because of the team he had around him. And that, to me, is where service hours come up just a bit short. As much as I love the concept, there are two things we could add to it that would make them even better. The first and the most important is that students should be required to do service hours with other people. It's great that a kid can go pick up trash outside of a nonprofit that can't afford to hire a yard company, but how much better would it be for the student if they served alongside others? And how much more work could get done? Paul, on his own, may have only started one church, right? Who knows, we could have just been reading the one letter to Paul if he was going at it by himself, but with the help of a team, he was able to start a whole heap of congregations. Also, Paul on his own might not have made it very far. He might have given up. Maybe he would have gotten discouraged. We know he would not have been able to pay for his food or travels because he didn't have a job, but he had Phoebe who helped foot the bills. And when he got disheartened, he had Andronicus and Junia who were there to encourage him when he was in prison. It's great that students are learning to serve, but just imagine how much better it would be for them if each time they did, they were serving alongside somebody else. They may even find that they're able to create lasting relationships with people they didn't know before. I mean, perhaps they might even build a friendship with those they previously disliked. One of the slogans of the ecumenical movement was when doctrine divides, service unites. It's a poor understanding of doctrine, but it's a great understanding of service. It recognizes that serving with someone else can bring those two together, even if they have different opinions and perspectives or preferences. Or as C.S. Lewis once put it, true friends don't spend time gazing into each other's eyes. They may show great tenderness towards each other, but they face the same direction towards common projects, goals, and above all, towards a common Lord. The people that you will be closest to in your life are the people that you serve alongside. Some of my best friends are the ones I went on a mission trip with. In fact, my closest friends from college all served with me on a week-long project in Montgomery. The Extreme Home Makeover Project came to Montgomery, Alabama. And we served on the, the 12 a.m. till 7 a.m. night shift as the cleanup crew on February nights, and it was cold. And we had jobs, and we had class, and we were tired, and we were all still in a text message group to this day. Because stuff like that builds bonds that last forever. 
So it's great that students have service hours, but it would be better if they happen to be doing them with others. And the second improvement I would make is this. I think our students should be required to sign a contract with their schools that in order to receive their diplomas, they must re- continue doing required service hours throughout adulthood, throughout adulthood and until retirement age. Imagine what it would be like if we all signed contracts when we were 18 years old and we're still doing required service hours. What, what would the world look like if every human had to do 10 or 20 or 100 service hours a year? Don't get me wrong. I know that there are plenty of people who serve selflessly in their adulthood. I know that most of the people in this room do that very thing regularly. You give hours upon hours to this church and to the community, and I I recognize that for the second week in a row, I might be preaching to the choir, but I can't help but imagine what it would be like, what would be possible if everyone on the planet had to do the same. And I also can't help but wonder if maybe your service hours have the same missing piece as our students. Have you ever experienced the joy of serving with other people? Which brings me to the crux of the sermon this morning. And maybe one of the most important initiatives we will take on as a church during my time under appointment here. We pastors and staff and the church council of Dauphin Way United Methodist Church wants you to join us in praying about something brand new over the next 17 months. For the next year and a half, we'll begin instituting a new facet of what it means to belong to Dauphin Way. We're going to create a culture where every member of our church knows that they have a place to belong, they have someone who knows them, and that together we will all live out the expectation to serve. At our last church council meeting a few weeks ago, it was decided beginning in 2024 that the size of the church council will increase by 18 people, which pretty much doubles it in size. And each member of the church council will be responsible for what we're calling charge teams. The leader of these charge teams will be accountable for 10 to 12 families in our church, and they'll check in with those families at least every other month. Whether through text or call or visit, everyone at our church will have someone who knows them and who knows how they are doing. Then after a year of creating and implementing these teams, beginning in 2025, we will ask every one of these teams to serve together two Sunday mornings a year. Families will serve with other families. New members of our church will serve with longtime members of our church. Students will serve with retirees. The charge team will be able to pray together before worship, participate in worship, serve as ushers and greeters, communion stewards, and more. We have a vision that Dauphin Way will grow closer together when we serve together. And we want every single person who comes here to know they have a place where they belong and somebody who cares about them. In between those biannual service days, the church council representatives, they won't only call to check in, but they're also gonna coordinate support if somebody is in need, connecting them to the pastors and to the other people and to the church, to the groups that can help support them. In a world where we are taught to put ourselves first, we fall Jesus who's calling us to put others first, who's saying, you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to act selflessly. Our economy might tell us to do what's best for us, and maybe it will help others, but our Savior tells us to do what's best for someone else, and then you will be blessed. 
We believe the church should be a place where people know that they are loved and a place where they can bless the world. And so please, pray with us. Join us. Help us to find the best leaders for this endeavor. Pray about whether maybe you might be one of those leaders who the nominations committee can add to the church council. And trust that God is going to continue doing incredible works in and through Dauphin Way United Methodist Church. And I hope that you want to be on one of these teams, that you are excited about what is possible. Because Dauphin Way has a rich history of loving others and serving the world while loving God. And I believe that even the best of that can still lay ahead of us. And I hope you're a part of it. I hope that you pray with us. I hope you look forward to being on this team. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.